Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Hey, guys, why don't we eat? Dear, don't cause a fuss. I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, spam, spam. Cornflakes! 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 Spam, 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 baked beans, spam, 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 and spam! I said I don't want any damn vegetables! Lentils are really good, you know? Mmm, forbidden donut. Right, ladies and gentlemen, the microphone is on. The red light is on. Condition reflex takes over because it's 12 o'clock here at 3 Triple RFM. We're broadcasting from beautiful downtown East Brunswick where the sun is starting to shine. The people dancing in the streets. There is frivolity. There is joy within us all. Our hearts are gladdened. But I might be getting a little bit excited and I'm just going to pull back the energy because we don't want to peak too early on this food show. <laughs> Do we, Kent? You don't want to peak too early, Cam. No, no, so no my prim- mama told no me. premature peaking. Don't you be peaking too early now, boy. <laughs> she said as she hands me my rye whiskey. Here, get this into you, she would say. Actually, um, my parents never drank rye whiskey which is a little bit of a shame, and probably most Australians don't. So working back from uh, what we've got on the show, I think we might preview it quickly. Kent, glorious to see you, mate. Wonderful to see you. Uh, you can. Lovely cup of coffee too we have <sighs> together and croissant. So croissant. we are powered by French pastry today. The scientists, look at him. There he is with all his, his Zoom people that uh, Dr Shane is chatting to. Thank you, Shane. He's not listening. He's... Uh, He's deep in chatting with them. Uh, thanks to the doctors, we look back. Now we look forward. And we look forward to more time out, more time with friends, more time in restaurants. Um, and we're going to have a little bit of a thought about how things don't just snap back no matter what 
the good folk uh, on the hill at Canberra might say to you. Ain't not going to be snapping back, and especially with the hospitality industry, and who better to discuss that and what we're all looking forward to doing than the redoubtable Rosalind Grundy. Ros is uh, standing by to have a chat with us. She of the Good Food Guide, of uh, uh, writing for The Age, and we're going to have a chat to her about what she's looking forward to doing, whether or not she's going to be going out immediately, because there's a few people that I've been talking to who are um, au fait and simpatico, shall we say, with the travails of the hospitality industry that are saying... Maybe it's a good idea just to let them find their level before we smash them to pieces. Yeah? Yeah. I'm one of those. Mm. Yeah, mm. you said it because you, you went to – you said you had a, a couple pints. <laughs> I, I tried to be sociable. Yeah, you did a pretty good job. <laughs> Two pints is pretty sociable. You would have been pretty voluble after a couple <laughs> pints, I would have said, uh, that uh, at the All Nations. But you said, no, I'm just – it's not quite right. But we're going to speak to Rosalind Grundy about that. Because restrictions have lifted, uh, this has been the first time uh, that I've been able to go to the Queen Victoria market after. I can't even... How long has it been? 12 weeks? Yeah. It's been a hell of a long time. So first time at the Queen Victoria market and you'll hear it. I have one of um, this little little trust tomato, little red cherry tomato... En branche, as the French say, uh, and so that, you know, you can ask for more money when you give it to the consumer. But I nearly lose my mind just in the taste of a real tomato because I've been eating... Supermarket produce, huh? Uh, yes, sorry. <clears throat> you're on radio, you're supposed to be expressive. I think that was pretty expressive and it conveys meaning, does it not? It did. So we're going to be doing that, and then we are going to be looking uh, at a brown spirit that defines America, that defines northern, the northern part of the United States of America. And uh, we're going to talk rye whiskey. And Kent, sorry, I'm going to drag you back to the microphone, mate. You said you've been buying a little bit of rye lately. I just mix things up during lockdown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of, one of, one of, one of the, the great drinks, and but for a lot of Australians, uh, I would say it's not in their liquor cabinet, but we have a gentleman by the name of Andrew Fitzgerald who's um, one half of a team of people uh, called The Gospel who uh, produce two different types of rye made from uh, grain that comes from Mildura. And uh, rye is a really interesting sort of thing in that it's – it's like its southern brother, uh, bourbon, um, and, and very much an American spirit. But you've got to say, where rye differs from bourbon significantly is in its history. I mean, it, it's, it's not a history soaked in blood like moonshine or rooted in the, Australia, um, the American slave trade like Jack Daniels. Uh, it's it's more a history of a spirit that went from a near monopoly on American imbibers and now it's sort of almost like uh, an alcoholic footnote to driving the cocktail revival of roughly the past decade and I think they'll testify to that in the fact that my favourite thing in the world at the moment is the... 
Shazarak. Shazarak, yeah. Which, um, which has an interesting history in itself because at first it was, the name is actually named after the, the cognac that it was made from. Mm-hmm. But because of phylloxera and the devastation of the, the wine crop, um, Americans started making mixing it with rye. But anyway, Andrew Fitzgerald is making rye whiskey in Brunswick, just a stone's throw from here. As we broadcast, rye whiskey is sitting and getting more complex and happening. So anyway, we're going to talk to him about that. Uh, so that is the show for you today. Did I say that I'm delighted that you've joined us? Delighted that you have joined us. And uh, stick around because uh, we're going to have some fun in this hour and hopefully it might inspire you to, to do some things you might not have done before. Triple R. Ken's that there we go, Kent. Easy mistake for a beginner, man. <laughs> if you can see, poor old Kent's blushing, but not to worry about that, because on the line we have the redoubtable, the incredible, the wonderful Rosalind Grundy. Hey, hi, Cam. How are you? Um, I am. I'm. I'm kind of peeking in the fact that. Uh, even though I haven't been out to uh, to go out and eat out, um, and we'll talk about that very soon, but I've just come back for for the very first time in about twelve weeks from the Queen Victoria Market. And how was John? John was in fine form. John hugged me. Oh, <laughs> John! John actually embraced me. Come here, give me, and we hugged it out and. And we had a chat about oh, Franca yeah. and uh, little Sammy, who uh, who works with John. She's very, very happy because she's just got her degree. Um, things have been happening down the Vic Market, and also the uh, uh, the Munro side seems to be. Uh, um, uh, well, it looks like it's just about finished, actually. So yeah, it's all all happening. It's amazing how much we've missed. But what yeah, about... so stay tuned for that. Yeah, but what about you? How how are yeah. you? Tell, tell... Yeah, I'm all right. What have, you, what have you been up to and um, how did you celebrate the end of lockdown? I celebrated very, very cautiously. I'm, I'm still... I feel like I've got training wheels on for dining out. I'm back to, oh, how do we do this again? Mm. How do I get dressed again? Yeah. All of that. How do I, how do so I, I just went, talk to people again? Yes, all of that. Um, that whole awkward... Mask on, mask off, kind of dance. All oh, yes, of that. Yes, yes, that's a, that's a, that's anyway. a, one, of the, one of the things. Um, it was the same. Uh, Kent here was talking, uh, aka panel beater, was talking about. You had a couple uh, beers at the All Nations. You said. I did. Yes. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, um, I did. Yeah, yesterday. I, but I tried just, it on. I just went out for. Oh, sorry. Go on. No, you're on. I'm, not, I'm so not used to not being in the studio and being able to make eye contact with you and knowing when to butt in. Mm. Anyway, just I was just going to say that I went to a uh, just a new little local wine store, um, wine bar that's sprung up this year called Vinoshi's. It's a really gorgeous little place in East Ivanhoe. Mm. Um, they have beautiful wines and things where they just open a bottle from the shelves and pour it until it's finished, a bit like Gerald's pioneered all those years ago. And yeah. it was just lovely, and it was just nice, 
very low key, and that's about my speed right now. Yeah, that sounds good. There's actually some good places in around Ivanhoe, and it's not really a uh, seen as a culinary. It's not the epicenter of dining, no, no, no not the culinary no. Des- destination. But I remember going out with. Uh, Raymond Capaldi, the great Raymond yeah. Capaldi and Jody Crocker, and I was the guest of them at a place called the Little Black Pig. Yes, that is in Heidelberg. That's really very good. That very, very good. Good, but yeah, here is the point, um, and I and I think this is the the thing that uh, when I was speaking to you during the week, I thought we should have a little bit of a discussion because. Um, the difficulty that the hospitality industry is going to be facing in the fact that you can't just flick the switch and then be completely staffed and ready to go, can we? No, we certainly can't. I I have not had a single conversation with anyone in the hospitality industry for almost the past two years. Yes. Concerned about the lack of staff, the number of people who have abandoned the industry over the past, Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, the number of young people who are just thinking, why would I want to do it? All of that. There's just, mm. I think, I think we can say crisis in staffing numbers, and uh, you know, there's apart from the fact that all we've heard about is the poor pay, which you know has been an endemic issue, but mm-hmm. I don't think is, I think, I think we're resolving that. Apart from that, I think what there's a concern about how, how how it's going to be when people come out of lockdown and they've forgotten how to socialise properly and how to behave nicely. Yeah, and um, yes, and, and the, the tolerance that they may or may not have uh, with service stuff that they might regard in... In varying ways to, uh, you know, a compatriot human being or just a, a slave that needs to f- fill my glass and wash my pony, <laughs> so to speak. Oh, I, Depending yes, on what indeed. suburb you're coming, not that I want to generalise, yeah. yeah. No, no. But, I mean, I, I sincerely hope that people take their kindest self out with them and behave as they would want to be treated in the circumstances. Everyone, all of us, every single one of us, no matter what our circumstances, has been through a lot yeah. over the past two years. And I think we just we just really need to take a breath and be kind to each other more than ever. Yes, yes. The the, uh, uh, the great rule of uh, recipro- reciprocity, uh, a.k.a. Reciprocity. You say that properly for me? Reciprocity. Reciprocity. There we go. I, I did do English at school. I remember it well. Sorry, sorry, Mr. Gittens. He's probably rolling in his grave now. But yeah, but that's that's the point in in the fact that yeah, you got to be uh, please be kind to hospitality uh, people. Uh, please understand how exhausted most of them are and how tired most of them are through. Um, just these two years of just wearing everybody down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I saw someone um, on Instagram saying that they'd almost forgotten how to set a table. So we, they have. It's a, you know what it's like when you're learning a new skill. Yes. It's it's tiring. So relearning those skills, re, re remembering how it is to walk the floors of a restaurant for hours on end. How tired you kind of when you're doing that every day, you get used to it. But if you have not been doing that every day, that's super tiring. So. 
And if the restaurants are short-staffed, those people are doing even more walking than usual. So we just need to be super patient, super kind, tip generously. Now is not the time to be giving that false feel about how Australian workers don't need to be tipped. Just tip. Be decent. Oh yeah, that's my advice. Yeah, actually, no, that's uh, that's very, very good advice, and it just it, and it does get back to that notion of um, match fitness. Uh, oh yeah, it, it, we are heading into the hospitality industry. Will now be going flat chat uh, for most, and this is we're not even talking about regional Victoria where uh, that that cater for holiday crowds, but they're going to be going flat chat. Um, I don't know how many services a day, depending on the industry or business, uh, until mm. Christmas Eve. Yeah, but, I mean, it's, it's good for the industry that we're, we're coming back into um, opening in the, what we traditionally call the silly season, but it's mm. also bad. I mean, this is the time of year when the industry absolutely ramps up normally that spring racing, all of those other things, all of the end-of-year catch-ups and all of that sort of thing. Yes. It's just going to stretch everybody a whole lot further than, than usual, and if there are fewer staff, then that's such an issue. And we've got about a minute or so left, Rosalind, but you said No that, way! Yeah, I know, it's crazy how fast time flies when you talk on the radio. Um, but you said you, you're actually hanging off going out for a place for a little while? Uh, I've made some bookings for November, but I'm just... I think I'll probably... See if I can do some walk-ins, um, just in and out of places. For the meantime, just I, I feel like the numbers are really high. Yeah. I just don't want to cause any further stress to the industry as they're getting back on their feet. So I'm just going to play it really cautiously. And I've just I've just heard from Dan's presser that from this Friday, when we'll be Regional. at eighty percent, we'll be able to get into the regions. Yeah. And that, that's something I'm keen for. And then next next month, November the 24th, we're going to have even more kind of restrictions lifted. So it's looking optimistic, but I just, yeah, my biggest advice would be to... Well, I'll tell you what, Go Rosalind. cautiously and be kind. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's a really, really lovely message. Rosalind, maybe what we might do is in the next couple of weeks I might come back to you so that we give you a little bit more time and then we <laughs> can maybe do the Julian Andrews and talk about... Some of our favourite things and places yeah, that we look, want to I go had to. Li- I had a little list beside me of the places that um, I'm really keen to get to and I've booked for, but we'll, we'll, we'll recap if you're interested I'd, later, I'd, another time. I'd love to. Rosalind, thank you for being available and having a chat with us. I think that's uh, uh, a, you're a laudable human being and saying, yeah, I don't need to stress people out because, gosh, when they see someone like you at a restaurant, you know, they... Go, oh my God, we're being reviewed, and we didn't even get on to that. But don't worry, folks, the review is going to be kind for a, a, for a while until everybody yeah. gets back on the We're feet. being our kindest selves this year as well, but we're the critics. Yeah. Rosalind, All right. big Thanks, hug. Cam. Can't wait yeah, to big, see you for a, a hug bite. For you too. Okay. Yeah, that'll be great. See you, Cam. See you. Time flies when you're having fun. It is Triple RFM. You're listening to Eat It is the name of the show. And I'm delighted to say that after Kent clears a few sponsorship announcements out the way, we're going to go back for the first time in 12 weeks in person to the Queen Victoria Market. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. 
To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. John? (laughs) I'm here. Yeah, we're here, but where's my sunshine? Oh, well, yeah, well, it's it's not raining. There's some blue sky over there, and I knew it, actually, when I... When be, I woke up this morning, I went, oh, I'm not going to bring him sunshine, be, but I'm here. Be grateful that we're here. Oh, yeah. You're here. I've been here. Yeah. Be grateful that you're here. Yeah. And a lot of happy, happy people came out yesterday and Friday, and they're saying freedom. And uh, by the sounds of it, they didn't go to bed. Yeah, a lot didn't. <laughs> you know, when I was coming to work uh, Friday morning, I, I get out of bed about 3 o'clock on a Friday, yeah. and about 20 past 3, I'm up the road, and there's... Four or five cars at the car wash. Yeah. They're washing their cars at three o'clock in the morning. So, you know. Why? Because we can. They can, can. yeah. And that's Victorian attitude. Why? Because we can. Finally, we can. Um, And I've got to say, coming in here, there's uh, a few things that have changed. Uh, The Munro side has been going brick by brick, window frame by window frame. That's a very, very large area that was, let's face it, fairly contentious uh, that's been... Uh, emerging from the rubble yes. of the Munro site. Uh, your thoughts on it? Well, we've only got 500 car spots in here, which is not enough, but at least it's new, yeah. modern, that's clean, yes. easy to get in, easy to get out. The CEO has been a good boy. He's put a reasonable price on the parking. He's not killing people. Oh, really? I think okay. it's only four bucks. So you could already park in there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. They've been parking in there since July. Oh, right. Okay, because well, I just... Uh, drove by and anyway I parked in my usual spot which was is good uh, I noticed the donut van uh, is going completely berserk today yeah they had a, a few quiet weeks but yesterday they went gangbusters again and the lines were down to the meat hall yeah. um, but they're very efficient they've got a couple of newbies in there and they're pumping the stuff out so get in there get your donuts yeah, I'm just trying to look it up. Um, there's been a, a, a sad thing in, in Footscray. Uh, the old uh, donut van, uh, the Olympic donut van, um, has uh, the, the man who ran that for years and years and years has, um, has, has uh, passed away. So, Sad. Yeah, um, so we just acknowledge that. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a bit of a sad thing. But again... Here we are at the market. People haven't really got here yet. It's been a bit quiet. No, as I said, a lot of people came out yesterday and Friday. Sunday, I think now we'll go back to normal Sundays. Uh, You get your diehards or come in through early and go home and have a big brunch Mm. with the family. And the rest, when they wake up after lunch uh, time, (laughs) they'll come out and do the shopping and we'll go bang from uh, midday till about four-ish and um, then we'll, we'll call it done. Done and a home for a simple pasta, right? That's right, yes. Yeah, very, very simple pasta. Maybe the uh, where you just get the tomato and grate it onto the pasta, which I kind of like. Yeah, Joseph's been asking for the um, very ripe cherry tomatoes. Throw them in a fry pan, just warm them through, and then um, put that over the pasta. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, oh. so we're not so much into the grating bit. <laughs> it's um, more Greek style, but it does work. It's beautiful. Oh, you were the one who told me about that years and yeah, years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, and we're not prejudiced. No, no, that's it, ecumenical, which is uh, pretty 
good to say for an Italian when it comes to the cucina. <laughs> so I believe half of that when you say that. Um, as Sammy was saying, uh, one of the people that works with you, uh, one of her favourite things is these little mini trusses. Every um, truss has got 12 tomatoes on it. And they weigh about 200 grams of truss. Every truss has 12 tomatoes. Yeah, they've been uh, manicured. While um, yeah. the, the plant was bearing and the truss starting to grow, yeah. um, they go along and trim them to size. Um, it's not really a natural process, but it works, and it's not chemical process, so yeah. we'll live with it. Yeah. Um, because the other cherry tomatoes, and mind you, Sammy said she likes these because they're not really hard on the skin. Yeah. Uh, they're a little bit sweeter, less acid than the other cherry truss. Yeah. The other cherry truss... Some have got um, 10, some have got 20 on the vine. Oh, for God's um, sake. Sorry, I've got to stop you now. For now, I've been eating supermarket tomatoes. Jesus Christ, that's good. How long, how long has it been since I've been here? Uh, a good 10, 12 weeks. That's the first decent tomato I ever had in all that time, and I'd forgotten how good a tomato tastes. Oh, my God. And as the saying goes, if I had a dollar for everyone that said that to me this week, oh, I'd be, um, be extra rich. Extra rich. You'd, be, you'd, um, be, uh, you'd be flying the flag on your beautiful boat on Lake Como. Well, I had one guy said to me, I bought tomatoes from the supermarket. The first week they ate some. The yeah. second week there was a revolution. <laughs> Serious? He said they made so much trouble in the kitchen, yeah. they wouldn't eat them, mm. wouldn't cook with them. And um, he, he ended up buying six kilo. Yeah. And uh, there's only, I think, three or four of them left in the house. Um, maybe they keep coming back and stealing his tomatoes, which is not impossible. Mm. Um, yeah, so, you know, the, the, all the tomatoes, we've been rather blessed. We only had a couple of weeks. Um, about a month ago, when it was the end of one crop, the tomatoes weren't as strong as they could have been, and yeah. um, they were breaking down quicker. The flavour wasn't there. Mm. But now we've got a new crop of um, tomatoes from Murray Bridge, and uh, they're nice and crunchy, juicy and sweet. And well, then we've got I a, can a still myriad... taste. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you. I can still taste that tomato. That is so good. Well, after we're done, we'll give yeah. you a golden cherry tomato, mm. and, and then you'll see what sugar is. Wow, really? All right? Wow. 110% sugar. Just taste. Yeah. Yep. So we've got... Um, Four varieties of cherry truss tomatoes. Mm. We've got um, Rouge de Marmon. We've got Rouge de Marmalade, which is what we used to call the old Adelaide tomatoes, the wrinkly ones. Are they called Rouge de Marmalade now? Yeah, no, the, the Rouge de Marmalade is the Italian variety, less wrinkles. Yes. And the Rouge de Marmon is the French variety, which is really super, ugly and super wrinkly. Super wrinkly. Yeah. Um, and we've got beautiful black Russians. Unfortunately, we haven't had any beautiful pink tomatoes for a while, mm. but I believe they're coming again. Yeah. Um, and you've got asparagus from oh, yeah, Mildura. Yeah, we were saying about these. They're still pretty. There's no sand marks on them. They're nice and straight. They're clean. The heads are tight. Funny thing, I had a um, an older couple come, and he said, I'm going to ask a stupid question. I said, yeah, go for it. No stupid question. How do you wash asparagus so well? You cut them in half and you put them in a sink and you wash them. I knew where he was going. Oh, okay. I said, uh, why? what's the problem? Yeah. And he said, well, my wife's been washing the asparagus and cooking them up and, and they've been beautiful, but sometimes they're a little bit gritty, crunchy. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, these are from Mildura. Uh, they get sandstorms. 
the sand whips up because it's uh, fine red sand yeah. and it gets into the head of the asparagus and you can't always wash it out. He said, I actually said to her, I will wash the asparagus. <laughs> Good on <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. You can imagine how that went down. And look, the sun's come out. There we go. Ah. There you go. We can, we, so, can, we can go against the truck. Uh, she, oh. she was grinning from ear to ear and saying, idiot, idiot. And, um, yes, yeah, so they can be sometimes, but we've been eating them for weeks and weeks now. I think I only had one batch where I thought they were a little bit gritty. Must, it must be very so fine sweet. dust to get it is, trapped it is. in the heads of asparagus. And, and, and they're just so sweet, and we've had mm. them. Last night, Frank, I boiled them very lightly, mm. and Joseph complained because he... He likes his either fried or, or, or steamed. But they were gorgeous. Just, the sugar really, really came out. And I enjoyed it because she only put just a little bit of olive oil. Yeah. So the asparagus shone. No grana? No grana. Just, just, just a little bit pepper? of salt. No. Very no, no, stop, stop. Sometimes. I love the way you're getting all soft simple, and profound. Simple, 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 simple. Profundo, profundo. Si. Ah, si. Ah. Si. And, that's, and that is the thing that... Um, uh, it's so much with cooking that you know, uh, like with fried rice or or cooking stuff in the wok. You just some people tend to put so many things in, and you just have to go stop. Yes, it's but just a few things. Then that is where you get the real interesting dishes. Exactly, and that's like a steak as well. Mm. I don't even like putting pepper on my steak. Yeah, right. Just a little bit of salt, mm. and that's it. Yeah. And another thing which is a star at the moment, which a lot of people are scared of and not accustomed to buying, salad onions. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, they've gone out of fashion. In the olden days, my father used to buy uh, oodles and oodles of them, and he'd sit down on a Wednesday and bunch them into threes. Yes. um, And people would buy them and eat them. Now, this is a fresh white salad onion. Mm. Um, It's got a green stem on it like the spring onion has. They're slightly flattened, which is the thing that makes you say that it's a salad onion. This is a flat variety. Um, The round varieties will come soon. Mm. But this is a softer, sweeter onion. Mm. Beautiful chopped up in a salad. They're never hot. Mm. You don't have to soak them in water for a little bit to get the sulphur out of them. Mm. The greens you can chop up and put them into an omelette or a soup or casserole or something, and a white bit definitely in the salad. But I've got another bit that that can go in. That middle bit there, you can just put... If you cut that thinly, you can just stick that in a hamburger. Oh. It's good. Please. Oh, yeah. Now now I want a hamburger. Yeah. But what we do with these is mm. when we cook our peas and broad beans, we've talked about this before, all right? So you chop the onion finely, throw it into the um, fry pan with a little bit of oil, warm the onion through it, don't fry it. When you pull your broad beans or your peas out of the water straight into the pot, that water is enough to steam your peas or broad beans or both together better still. Mm. And then you steam them very lightly, and you don't have a lot of water, so you don't lose your nutrients. Mm. And olive oil uh, in that water at the end, you dip your crusty bread in. I did it last night. That's why I've got good memories of what to do properly. I'm nearly (laughs) swooning. Not that I cooked it. Franca did. Mm. Okay? Yep. So... How much... Quanto, quanto for this? Six dollars for four onions. They're much yep. bigger yep. than an egg. A lot of people are frightened by the price, but they're worth it. The asparagus, asparagus per lunch? Uh, we're selling about fifteen a kilo. You can buy cheaper, but yeah. as it goes, there's no wasteland. There's no white at all. Mm. You just cut a millimeter off the bottom and then go from there. Either you barbecue them or steam them. Uh, we've got still Mexican garlic. 
go at yeah. Two bucks a piece. Yeah. The new stuff's on the market, but good, overpriced. Good stuff. Good it's stuff. still very, very good. When yeah, you've yeah. got nothing better, it's good. Yep. Now, I'm avoiding saying this because um, uh, I was thinking uh, of my previous guest, Ross Grundy. Hi, Ross. hope you're out and about now. Um, she was saying, all you've been talking about is broad beans and artichokes. So we need to gloss over those really, really quickly. There are artichokes around. I've finally got one in my hands. Hello, baby. You should have uh, seen Cameron's <laughs> eyes when he saw the broad beans. <laughs> you still got them. Um, so the uh, artichokes, how long are they going to go for? Uh, this variety is a hybrid. As long as it rains, they'll grow. Excellent. The, we've got the traditional uh, variety, but only the baby ones, not the big ones, because mm. they were too coarse. Yep. I'd say they'll be finishing any time now. Mm. But we're very rarely without artichokes now because there's different varieties. Different varieties grow at different times. Most of the new ones, as long as they get rainwater, they grow really well. Mm. And you can see that in the stem. This stem's not real thick. This is um, about the size of my thumb. Yeah. And you peel it back and there's so much flesh in the stem... Um, that it's nearly as much as the base of the artichoke. Just like a broccoli. Yeah, so come yeah, on, we better move good. on. Yeah, yeah, we got, actually, we probably need to do... Um, I probably need to do pick of the market with you. Let's go, let's go for it. Pick of the market, I've got some beautiful peas out of Victoria. Yep. 15 a kilo. Buy half a kilo, spoil yourself, put a spoon on each plate. Uh, unfortunately, the beans let me down. The weather got to them and they broke down really quick, but mm. I had some beautiful ones and they ran away. Mm. Uh, capsicums, we've got millions of capsicums out there. We've got big red juicy bullhorns. Uh, they, these, the Italians would say this is a cornetta. Um, and they're got, sweet. And they're sweet. We've got mm. green ones. People have been buying them, barbecuing them, grilling them, putting them in the oil, mm. having them as an antipasto or something like that. Um, Good way to get vitamin C too. Definitely. They've yep. got more vitamin C than an orange six times, I believe. Yep. And then we've got South Australian capsicums as well. They're beautiful, big, glossy, thick flesh, full of sugar. Mm. New season cabbages. Uh, we've got red cabbages. I won't tell you the price because you might have a heart attack. Yep. But they're nice to make a coleslaw. Um, people have been making cabbage rolls again, which um, I was rather surprised. Well, people got and, time on their hands, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, as usual, I say it's all out there. Come and have a look. Mm. Don't make your um, menus for seven days. Do it for four days. Come and see what you can fish out of the market. And be inspired. Be inspired. Yeah. You might buy a cauliflower and do cauliflower and batter. Yeah. I'll have to drop some hints at home. Cauliflower and batter? Yeah. I'm there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> see how it goes. So, yeah. And the fruit? Yeah. Have a look at it. There's so many citruses, pears. Apples. Yeah, there's still a, what are those, honey murkots or... Honey murkots. Uh, mandarin, sorry. Three or four varieties. There's uh, cantaloupes, honeydew, watermelon, candy melon. Green mangoes. Green mangoes. For your salads. Yeah, yeah. I Boy, it's good to be back here at the market. Sorry to talk over you. I'm so excited. Um, John, it's been a delight. Um, you're looking forward to simple pasta tonight. Um, any other things that, um, you know, got to ask? How's Franca anyway? Yeah, she's good, grumpy, but good. Yeah. Cooking up a storm. Good. Last night she did the best chicken chicken thigh uh, schnitzels. Really? And Joey was so happy, he kept on eating and eating and eating. That's his job <laughs> in life. No, he's a good boy. He I'm, a, I'm an eater. Well, I hope he goes well with his exams. Great to see you, and um, I think I might have to come back here next week and see you again. So, got hit sunshine.
Here we go. Step in the sunshine. Oh, glorious. Everyone loves the sunshine. <laughs> all right. Well, it's uh, after all that, it's back to the studio. Thank you, John. Thank you. Have a lovely day, everybody. Enjoy it. Yeah. Thanks, Cam. <laughs> Kent, I think you need to turn it. Oh, you got it back on. Oh, good. Um, it's not often that we come back to uh, microphones after market report, but uh, obviously it's great to catch up with John at uh, the market. And there's one thing that I've got to do and do properly because we just let it uh, sort of slide off there and uh, we have to properly commemorate Nick Siligiris, who was the man of the uh, the Olympic Donuts at... He used to see him at the Footscray Railway Station and he was uh, a joy. He really, really was. Someone that just radiated sunshine and sold lots and lots of donuts, was always in a very, very good mood. He was part and parcel of what made the West great and for a lot of people getting off the trains, the first place they would go to would be to the caravan of Olympic donuts and they would walk up and... Nick would make donuts and he had the most beautiful thing when the jam came out. It was shaped like a dolphin. And uh, God bless you, Nick. And to the family, we should just acknowledge his passing and do it properly rather than just go to the guy at Footscray had passed on. Uh, it's 12.39 here on 3 RFM. We're going to do a couple of sponsorship announcements. We'll be back with Thinking Drinking and we're going to be going to the USA. Well, via Brunswick, we're going to talk about rye. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Yeah, we're on. We are on. It's 12... hey. 12.40 here. And uh, the good news is that we have Andrew Fitzgerald here from a little distillery just around the corner making some, as my mum would say, some good hooch. Andrew Fitzgerald, a very, very good afternoon to you. Uh, Delighted to have you on the blower. I'm sorry we can't get you in the studio. Oh, no, that's fine. Yeah, it would would be nice to uh, clink glasses and uh, have a proper drink together, but... uh... Thank you. Thanks for the uh, the invite to, to call in. It's very good. There we go. I've just clunked two glasses. Uh, the good news is we, <laughs> we actually have got a little bit of product in in front of us. We've got how many mil have we got? Hundred mil. Woo! We are swimming in rye at the moment, um, and uh, we're going to have a little bit of a, a taste. But I would actually say to you that maybe rye is maybe the brown spirit that, as Australians, we are getting to know. It's sort of the last one that we sort of are getting to know. Would that be a correct assumption? Yeah, potentially. I mean, uh, you know, rye has really been uh, coming into its own in, in, you know, other markets, certainly in the US and and that sort of thing. But uh, Australia is um, a little bit uh, late to the party on rye, but coming around, uh, you know, there's a a few producers now producing rye and it's sort of starting to become more more prominent. And isn't that weird? Usually usually we're the early adopters. Like when it comes to electronics (laughs) goods, it's like for some reason we've we've forgotten about it. But let's maybe start with um, the... Uh, should we say the, the the brother of bourbon, the northern brother uh, yeah. in, in that belt? And I yes. and I thought it was interesting. I pulled out something which was kind of interesting. I thought it, it said where rye differs from bourbon, and I'm repeating myself from the intro. Um, it's not 
a history soaked in blood, like moonshine or rooted in the American slave trade, like Jack Daniels. No, well, Discuss. interestingly, well, interestingly, rye was actually first started uh, growing up in the Pennsylvania region of the U.S., and it was really because, uh, you know, the barley, which the, I mean, it, wherever you go in regards to the whiskey history, it's always the Irish and Scottish settlers that try and make their own whiskey. So, mm. same same was uh, said here in Australia, but certainly in the U.S., they tried to grow barley didn't take to the fields up there because of the winters that they had and um, reverted to rye. And uh, so rye has that initial history as, uh, I guess, being the American whiskey. So um, it but, is a slave uh, in, a, in a way, yeah. but slave to its it, geography. Because you think yes, about the yes. obviously rum in the south near the equator because of sugarcane, uh, the corn mm. belt in uh, – down there uh, in the bourbon growing areas and as you said because of the expedience and the reality of the climate uh rye was became a necessity and someone said hey we can make booze out of this well well bourbon became so popular because a lot of um subsidies to grow corn down in the south and uh, land subsidies where people were given sort of land in the south and mm. uh, and uh, and so of course you know c- corn is a primary ingredient in bourbon um, it, b- it just became the more prominent because also cheap you know uh, yeah right. key, key to what they would do is they'd take a you know in the early days they'd take quite a bulky product and, and cheap product and they'd turn it into a less bulky product and more expensive product being whiskey so that mm. was sort of the uh, catalyst for a lot of the bourbon trade in the early days and moonshine trade of course and then we, know, and so. we think about the, the the terrible triangle that uh, that happened further south with the rum trade yes of, yeah of, <laughs> yes. Of, of, of you know slaves sugar and you know the way that that sort of perpetuated itself so rye has been around uh, for quite a while probably the most one of the most favorite um, famous uh, rye cocktails the Sazerac started its life as being a cognac or brandy uh, cocktail, like it was in the name, wasn't that's it? That's right. That's right. That's right. And fell off, you know, obviously as rye became more popular, you know, uh, was sort of exchanged for rye whiskey. Mm. Um, and even in a, a lot of the other cocktails of, you know, the early American cocktails, they just called for American whiskey, which, you know, very well uh, a fair portion of that would have been rye at the time. Uh, you know, Manhattans and old old fashions, arguably, um, yes. uh, all, all all sort of would have been first developed using a rye whiskey as opposed to what is favoured now in and say a, a, an old fashioned, which is bourbon. So, right. um, although I still prefer a rye old fashioned, um, and certainly rye Manhattans, rye Sazeracs, and and, and all that. So, um, Sazeracs is, is is one of those. Uh, drinks, uh, you know, we've discussed this before. You know, it's uh, if made right, it's uh, it's uh, uplifting and almost, you know, it's so, such a delicious uh, cocktail, made, but very boozy. Made properly, it's ambrosial. I mean, it is just the perfect nectar of the gods, as far as I'm I'm it, concerned. It, it it truly is, and I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Peychaud's bitters, which obviously features in in a Sazerac, mm. and uh, because they tend tend to really. Uh, amplify any drink that Peychaud's is in, but um, some people get a little scared off with a Sazerac because of the absinthe, but uh, look, it's just a rinse of the glass and gives a bit of an aroma, so you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's quite delicious. Hey, uh, um, curiosity, would you be able to get away with um, maybe doing a, a Pernod rinse with a, with a Sazerac? It's not really a Sazerac. Thing, oh, I'm, 
Yeah. But it's I'm cheaper sure than buying a bottle of absinthe. I'm just trying to think of, you know, because... <laughs> Yeah, look, um, it is that, you know, absinthe is one of those things that you use so sparingly that to have it in the cocktail cabinet is not a bad thing. Uh, you haven't seen you me drink absinthe. Sorry, sorry. Well, giving a little bit too much know, away there. Yeah, but, you know, you but uh, most people would, you know, only use it for a rinse or, or, or yeah. a five or, or ten mil addition. So have it in the cocktail cabinet and uh, bring it out for, for, for when it's needed and it will last forever. All right. So, well, so there's, there's our little look at rye and, and uh, we've got sort of the, the, what is rye, where did it come from, uh, what are the classics, yeah. and we might return back to that. But at uh, 12.48 here on 3RRFM, we need to find a little bit about you and why on earth you thought it would be a good idea to, uh, to make rye whiskey in the postcode that you're in. <laughs> Three eight yeah. five six and proud of it. So, yeah. So look, um, look. Uh, I, I think it comes. I, I was. I have been a long time drinker of bourbon, uh, and you know, for, for, for many years. And um, myself and my business partner Ben, who's from the South in the US. Oh, really? Good um, Ben. Of, Is he listening? Yes. No, he, he, he's ben. not. He's uh, he's from um, he's he's from South Carolina. And, South Carolina. Uh, you know, yeah. Wow. So, so we were very influenced into making American style whiskey to begin with. Yes. And then, and uh, how did you guys meet and come together? What's the story between meeting this guy from South Carolina? Wow. Yes. Uh, both in, both engineers and both worked within the engineering field together. So uh-huh. before we moved into this. Yes. So. Um, but look, uh, and, and looking at bourbon, and uh, I, I was introduced to a, there was a multiple different events, but one catalyst I was introduced to a rye old fashioned in a great bar that's no longer there in Melbourne called New Amsterdam. Oh, uh, had yeah. a rye old fashioned. Then I went to the US and I travelled many distilleries and, and bars and was drinking a lot of rye and, and uh, really just fell in love with it. And we were at the point where we were looking to what whiskey we were going to make. And it just made sense that we made something that we were drinking and enjoying. So, and then later after that, we realised how hard rye whiskey is to make. Oh, really? <laughs> it's a very, it's a really challenging grain. It's very hard. Um, we get we get all our grain from a single farm in in uh, the Murray Mallee region. It's a very small, tight grain that's very hard. Did you say it was and near Mildura? Was it around Mildura? Yeah, it's actually uh, border um, country, river country. Yeah, Pinaroo, Pinaroo okay. is, uh, yeah. is where it is. So, um, and uh, so it's the grain is so hard it wears pumps out. It's hard to mash. It binds together. You know, the the first year of us making rye whiskey would probably age me five years. But uh, over time, we designed. Our, our, you know, being engineers helped us, so we designed the distillery that we have, and uh, and now it's dedicated to making rye, and it's uh, and it does it easily. Well, a lot easier than than when we first started. So. Um, and uh, yeah, look, pretty much everything that we put out has, has a rye base to it, uh, and, uh, and we, we, we've looked at different growers for different varieties of rye, um, and uh, really trying to bring out the best in the grain and celebrate it. So that's uh, that's us, and we've been around for a couple of years now, two years. Two years, okay. Um, and and when did you first start putting barrels down? Uh, Two thousand fifteen. Yes, 2015. We started putting barrels down. 
And one of the great things about living in Melbourne, and I think you mentioned it in your website, is uh, what um, uh, people who watch whiskey barrels or barrels say is the fabulous dynamic climate that Melbourne has and and actually variability uh, when it comes to um, alcohol going in and out of oak and uh, having interactions with the wood and all that sort of stuff Mm. is pretty good, isn't it? It's 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 very good. I mean, if you if you look at uh, we we looked at the different climates between us and Scotland and mm. ourselves and and ourselves in Kentucky, mm. and the variation in temperature from cold to hot in Melbourne is unlike any other whiskey producing region. So, um, and what that does is when when the when it heats up, you know the oak fibers in the barrel they expand and, and the whiskey enters the oak. And when it gets mm. colder, they contract and it pushes that whiskey back out. So the maturation is a lot quicker uh, in in Melbourne when compared to, say, Scotland. I mean, Scotland typically use second fill barrels, so ex bourbon barrels for their Scotch. Yep. Um, and they in in the the average temperature sits at around ten degrees Celsius. So Ooh. it's that's why it's much more common Ugh. to get eight, eight and twelve-year-old uh, uh, whiskies out of Scotland, whereas in Australia we're seeing similar results in sort of three years. What about evaporation and angel share? Would that be the same in um, over that time as well? Because a lot of that, uh, well, we, we we talk about the stuff that just goes into the air, and the, the French have that wonderful thing as they shrug their shoulders at you and it's the angel share. Um, do you get uh, the uh, the evaporation? You would, wouldn't you? We, we see about 15%. We see about 5% a year. So 15% wow. over three years. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, so, and, so and, you know, and that's excluding the samples that we might take, of course. Yeah, like I, we have in front of us, which I, I thank you for. <laughs> Kent and I are cheersing each other. Ah! Um, but this is an interesting thing in the fact that um, uh, David Vitale from Starwood Whiskey was probably the one of the first when he started making Scotch whiskey or um, Scottish style whiskey, Australian mm. whiskey, mm. Um, in Essendon Airport of all places, and mm. and uh, mm. everybody thought he was crazy when he said, "Look, we're just going to put it down for three years. That's enough. It'll it'll work." And and you're finding that yourself. Yeah, look, um, because we use all new American oak barrels, well, for the most part, we use new American oak barrels. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's definitely matured enough by, by three years. We, I mean, what we find with maturation is it goes in peaks and troughs. You, you know, you hit a sweet spot in, in the barrel and it's tasting delicious. Then it might go down and be a little bit over extracted. Then it'll come back up and it'll taste delicious again. <laughs> at three years, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great spot to be at. So, it's, it's like watching um, your children and then seeing they've turned into delinquents, but then they've come back and they've got a degree. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. We, it's very similar, very similar in that sense. What's yeah. happened to but, you? So you got to, yeah, you, you're going to catch them at the peak. You're going to catch them when they're well behaved. That's the key. And do you remember the moment where you pulled out a sample from whatever barrel it was and and thought to yourselves, "Well, actually, tell us about that." Was was there like an epiphany where you went, "This stuff is valid. It's really it's it's good." Yeah. Look, one of the first. Um, you know, of course, we, we we taste them sort of at sort of six month intervals. But uh, when we were looking to barrel our first batch of straight rye whiskey for the for the gospel, um, when when we started uh, blending that first batch, 
and Ben and I taste it. We were just like, this is bloody delicious. This is bloody good. <laughs> thank you. Thank, yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. So I was like, you know, like, thank Christ for this because, uh, yeah. you know, obviously we'd invested our life savings in it, but had a certain cola essence, a very, you know, creme caramel sort of uh, flavor to it with an underlying grain t- texture, which we really liked. And, uh, and our key, our objective was to create a whiskey which um, was uh, unlike any other whiskey, but served the purpose of a whiskey. Could make a great cocktail from it. Could drink it neat, um, but didn't mimic any other whiskey. And we think we've landed there with that with the straight rye whiskey well, um, for the gospel. If I can paint you a, a, a picture, and radio at its very best is theatre of the mind. Um, across from me, I have a, a gentleman whose name's Kent Goldsworthy, and he has gone into. Prayer and contemplation. Looking at this, look here. What, what do you he think? Got the full what were he you going to say? Well, no, he didn't. Uh, did he get the full hundred mil? No, no he, we, we, we're, we're just having a sip. But um, it's uh, it, it, it's uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a lovely thing. And you've got two different grades of it. One is a Solera, which I imagine you're using a That's Solera right. system, like as they make sherry. Is that right? Or that's, is that, that's right. So, so the Solera is, yeah. So Solera is a connection of multiple barrels. Yes. Um, we, we so and uh, which is you know famous in in Spain and Portugal for fortified wines. And it's, we're using that for whiskey. And that's to so make we a have consistent consistent product with no variation is what you the idea of Solera is, isn't it? Correct. And what we've done also with that is to, it enables us to salt and pepper the type of barrels that we have. So we have new American oak barrels, some second fill American oak, and we actually finish in Australian natural wine barrels from the Adelaide Hills. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, which are typically either a Gamay or a a Pinot barrel. So, um, that's, that's the Solera rye. Um, and of course the straight rye is in, you know, uh, new American oak and, and, uh, sits there for its entire life in the in the single cask. Yeah, and so, it's uh, um, it's it's ready to express itself into if we talk about it, the triumvirate of the the holy trinity of rye cocktails, the old fashioned, the Manhattan, the Sazerac, yes. which um, most yes. people, if you've sort of delved into rye, you know about. But there are a whole bunch of new cocktails um, that have come out, and one of them has come out of wasn't New York's famous milk and honey um, bar. Uh, the penicillin is that the one you're talking about? That's one we've got. There was another one that they've got. Uh, do I have the name of it? But it had um, uh, milk and honey bar, rye whiskey, yellow chartreuse, sweet vermouth, and two kinds of bitters. Oh. That sounds that sounds delicious. Does I've, I don't know? What, uh, I, not, obviously, one of those would have to be Peychaud's bitters, wouldn't they? When you think about, it. I wonder what the other one is. You would think so. You would you would think so. And um, I guess what I I'm, also I also I also quite like a, a Boulevardier using a, a rye whiskey. So whenever I, I have gin drinking. Whenever I have gin drinkers at my house, I, I will serve a Boulevardia. Uh, you know, that's basically a Negroni. Yes. Just swapping out swapping out the, the gin for, uh, you know, I prefer rye whiskey, obviously, but swapping out the gin for a whiskey. And, um, uh, you know, Ash, Straight Rye and, uh, and our Solera, for that matter, is really great as a, as a Negroni alternative. Um, mm. So that's, a, that's another great whiskey uh, cocktail. Yeah, that does that does sound good. Usually, a Boulevardier was made with bourbon. Is that right? Bourbon, correct. Yes, yes, yeah. 
So it's basically, it's basically one part. It's very easy, and that's why I, I often make it if I'm entertaining. Yes. One part whiskey, one part whiskey, one part bitters. So uh, Campari or something similar. Um, there's lots of great Australian bitters out there, so I'd go for those. And, and one part's uh, sweet vermouth, typically. Mm. Sometimes with the whiskey one, I, I will swap it out for a, a classic style vermouth, uh, such as a. Um, uh, Made and I make a make a really great vermouth. They sure um, also, do. Yeah, getting back to yeah, we, we could have a, 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 an Australian old fashioned. Um, we need to move on and get out of here, Andrew Fitzgerald. It's been awesome to talk to you. The great news is Thank that you. you can get the gospel at uh, good booze shops, including Dan. So congratulations on getting your ride to uh, to the people. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers and thanks for the support. Absolute pleasure. Look forward to speaking to you in the future. Cheers. There he goes. Cheers. Uh, And to his partner from South Carolina. We need to go, Kent. We do, Cam. Still here is on next in about two seconds. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website.